0: Uh, I'm excited about continuing on uh, talking about being filled and energized and used by God's Holy Spirit in our day. I, I want that personally, and I want it for us personally, and I'm feeling uh, the last while a stirring, like I am feeling like the sky's the limit. Like, you know, we're not much, individually or corporately, but God is much. And it's just, you know, again and again, like, you know, this God who says to, you know, some guy who's hiding out threshing wheat in Israel, he says, listen, he calls him a mighty man of valor. And he says, and I want you to raise up an army and go get the Midianites. And I'm talking about Gideon, and Gideon is kind of like, mighty man of valor. Somebody else down here in this thing, he's hiding out. And God raises him up. He gets this big army, and just as God would do it, it's like, nope, it's too big. (laughs) What? The army's too big? Like, I mean, I want to stack the deck. I want a gajillion people standing so that they look, and we're intimidating. And God says, nope, the army's too big. A bunch of them, anybody who's fearful, go home. And a whole bunch of people left, you know? They all went home. Then he says, "No, it's still too big." He says, "Here's what I want you to do: get them to go have a drink out of the, in the some who drink this way that are keeping watch, versus those that stick their face down and aren't keeping watch." He says. I want, I want to use them, down to 300 people. And I don't know how big that, I forget how big the Midianite army was, but it was huge. And so 300 people by night, and they go, you know the story, some of you do anyway, they go with torches in clay pots, they smash them, and they all yell in the middle of the night. They, you know, after they've already heard a... Uh, some of the Midianites talking about, oh, you have this dream about this, it's this kind of bizarre dream about a barley loaf rolling in and it wipes them out. And he says, oh, that's nothing but Gideon, who, like, somehow even his enemies already knew that God was on the move. It's funny how God does that. He'll actually sometimes tip off opponents before God's people really kind of get the revelation. So, anyway, this happens, this guy, 300 people, that is not much, right? 300 people, an army. And they go in, and they scare the cheese out of this army, so much so that they all start fleeing, they're in great confusion, they're killing one another, and they're running all over, and Israel gets a great, uh, they uh, wipe out this enemy army, and it's like, who gets the glory? Not Gideon, because it wasn't that, boy, that Gideon is a brilliant military um, tactician or something. No, it was not him. It was God who did it. And he gets the glory because it was so obvious it couldn't have been them. And God does that again and again and again and again. He did it with Peter. Here's this kind of loudmouth guy who, you know, he's now standing before the religious elite of his day. And they say, we know that that guy is not educated. They knew it. He wasn't trained like them. And yet they look at, oh, here's a guy that he just prayed for, and the guy got healed. It's like, okay, how, how are we going to argue with that? Like, great power. And So we need to believe that God, regardless of who we are, and this is similar to where Stryker went last week. I liked that statement he made. I, I think it was last week I heard this, that God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He doesn't wait to say, okay, who have I got that's really got the goods because other than Jesus, he'd still be looking. He'd, he'd be, you know, kind of checking it out. Oh, Compass Church. No, I forget that one. Uh, wait, there's got to be some... <laughs> Let's go to that Baptist church down the street. You know, look at first in the front gym. Yeah, yeah, maybe there's a couple in there we can use. Let's go to, you know, some other church. No, I'm sure. I'm sure that God looks in here and he's seeing people and he sees something that even we don't see about ourselves. That's what a, a God honestly sees things again and again and again, in people that they don't see. I don't know who Gideon was before, really. We don't get much of an insight. But the angel shows up and calls him a mighty man of valor. I don't know what he had done. He probably had been faithful in some small things. And God looked and saw, I can use that guy. God looked at Peter and says, I can use that guy. And others would look and say, Peter, gosh, he's kind of... As people say, his foot is always either in, on, or around his mouth. And yet God looks and says, no, I can see something there. I can use that man. I can can qualify him. I can gift him. I can outfit him for ministry to turn the world upside down. And the book of Acts is a testimony to, at least part of it, is about Peter, that guy being used mightily by God. Okay, that's not even the message yet, so that time doesn't count. Okay, Acts chapter 1. Uh, We're going to start there and go over this quickly. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 and 8. And gathering them together, Jesus commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, He said, you heard of from Me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be My witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. That's where we live. Chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues of fire distributing themselves, um, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Then wherever they are, it says that that Jerusalem was full of people, Jews from all these different nations, and they all were hearing them speaking the mighty works of God in their own languages. And we pick it up then in verse 12, and it says, and they they all continued, this is not the, the, uh, the disciples at this point, this is the people witnessing this phenomenon, they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, they're full of sweet wine. I don't really know much about what sweet wine is, but they're basically saying, these guys are drunk or tipsy. Peter gets up, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit upon all mankind, And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy." And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, and the the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He finishes quoting Joel. Then he says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Listen up. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. And God raised him up again, putting an end to to the agony of death since it was Impossible for him to be held in its power. Peter gets up and he, he, he starts to say, this phenomenon that you're witnessing, this is what was already spoken of long ago. Hundreds of years prior, this was already declared. Now it's happened, and then he relates it to Jesus. Just like Jesus had said, when the Holy Spirit comes, you'll receive power and you'll be my witnesses. So now the power has come. Peter gets up and he's witnessing not just about the phenomenon of speaking in tongues. He comes to witness about Jesus. He's laying out Jesus Christ there before them all. Even the people, he even says, this man you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men. He points it out to him and he lays that out. Now, in the last days, he says, God has already said he would pour out his spirit. Yes. I'll pour him out. Not just, I'll touch you faintly with the Holy Spirit. I'll give you just a little taste of the Spirit so that you know, and that'll be enough to carry you through. No way. He says, I will pour forth of my Spirit on all mankind, on all nations, that is. I won't leave anybody out. It's not like, well, they get it, and they get it, and they get it, but these people are out. Now that was even somewhat controversial for the crowd he was speaking to because they thought salvation was kind of exclusively theirs. Even though prophecy and scripture had spoken long before that God would bring in all the Gentiles or all the nations. He'd bring them in. Now he's saying, he's quoting this uh, prophecy that i 'll pour out my spirit on all mankind, on all the nations, on all the Gentile nations he says i 'll pour him out. Let me ask you, do you expect God to pour out his spirit on you, Amen. or are you is your faith for a little smidge, you know a recipe like in a dash of this? no way that 's not how God 's doing it it 's kind of like you're cooking and it says. A teaspoon of garlic. Yeah, right. How about a cup? You know, like I want some flavor in there. And God's looking and saying, "No, I'm not going to give just a dash of this. I'm going to pour out my spirit." John seven thirty seven to thirty nine talks about out of your innermost being will flow what Water. rivers. Do you know I, when I was looking at this, I started thinking rivers. What like? statistics on rivers and I thought what is the largest river in the world no nope. the who did somebody say Amazon yeah the Amazon has its volume is equal to the other seven top rivers in the world that one river and this this was I this kind of thing I kind of geek out about I like it this is cool it is seven and a half million cubic meters. Is the Amazon basin? That doesn't. That number doesn't even make sense. Per second, the output of that river is uh, here. I wrote it down. I, I find this really interesting: two hundred and ten thousand square meters of water per second. That means about seven. Times this room uh, per, no, sorry, 70 of these rooms per second full of water. That would be, like, it's just an enormous, they find the water, the fresh water from the Amazon out in the middle of the ocean because the flow is so strong, and that's at the average time. At the peak, it's like uh, instead of 210,000 Square meters of water per second, it's 350. It's just incredible. And God says, rivers of living water are going to flow out of us. In Edmonton, where I grew up, there was one year that there was the river swelled. And it was cool to be on the river bank because the, the river areas that for years had been dry land were part of the river now. And you could go near the river and and there were doors and uh, all kinds of things floating down the river that had been beside the river somewhere in you know in the distance, many miles outside of Edmonton. But that year, when the river swelled, it was like it was taking everything. Uh, making a new path and carrying everything. And God says, out of our innermost being is going to flow rivers of living water. I'm believing for that flood time kind of a river to be flowing out of me. I want big. And I think that's who our God is. He's not stingy. He's not saying, I'm going to give you just enough to get you by. No, I'm going to fill you. That's why he says in Ephesians 5.18, he says, don't be drunk with wine, which is fleshly indulgence or excess. He connects it again to this thing. He says, but be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. The, the Again, the verb of it is a, a continuous verb. It means be being filled. Like always being filled up. More and more and more. That's That's what God promised to do. That's what he wants to do. Even more than we want to receive. And I say, even right now, lift up your hands and say, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me with the Holy Spirit again and again and again. Fill us to excess, God. I want more of your Spirit for myself. I want it for the people in this room. In Jesus' name. That's what God wants for us. And Peter now says this. He says, it'll be in the last days. If those were the last days, we're even more in the last days today so we can expect him to make good on this. It will be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit upon all mankind and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Now that, we're maybe kind of used to this in our Western culture. But even for God to put that in there, I think to a large extent, it was overlooked. In the same way that the people of this time, when Jesus was walking the earth, and when the first uh, disciples after Jesus' death and resurrection were walking the earth, the idea that God would bring into the kingdom Gentiles was a challenge to them. And you know it because when it first happened, they're like, what? You went in and ate with Gentiles? And it's like... God gave him the Holy Spirit, just like he did to us. And thankfully, some wise uh, disciples said, hey, you know what? It does say that. If God's done it, praise God. Let's go on with him. They're taking it. And I think this was probably in that category too, probably to a large extent. Your sons and your daughters, they knew this prophecy, but I think they thought probably, but mostly, God's sons. (laughs) You know, like maybe a couple daughters, because there is Old Testament precedence where a couple of female prophets existed. Only a few. Only a few. Mostly, it was the territory or the office of men. But here, Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and says, this is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. It's not like, most of your sons are going to prophesy and a few of you women will too. No, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. You know that early in this last week, I had what I would call a prophetic dream. And I thought, okay, I have officially crossed over. <laughs> your, your young men will see visions. Your old men will, see, will dream dreams. I was, it would be wrong to say I was happy to have this dream because it was sort of a, I, I, don't, I don't have a lot of these but I woke up kind of anxious and rolled out of bed and prayed because it was a, I think, a prophetic dream about the intensity of the rising divide in our culture and the persecution of believers. I woke up and I was uncomfortable and I was disturbed, even as I'm coming to. It, it's like I rolled out of bed and prayed for a little while, um, just because there's the the enemy is amping up his disdain for us we see it in the culture people you know buying into the lies of the enemy and there's this idea that you guys as the people of god are the problem in society it's like forget the fact that christians all over the place all over the world started hospitals and universities and you've got somebody like even thinking of a daughter of God, somebody who was a mighty uh, prayer, Harriet Beecher Stowe, who some of you have heard, is the, was the author of the book Uncle Tom's Cabin, which, uh, when this book was partly what, or significantly uh, affected the American Civil War and the abolition of slavery in North America. Apparently, when uh, Abraham Lincoln met... Harriet Beecher Stowe, still a young woman, and she had written this, that he said, so you're the, how did he put it? So you're the one that started this whole thing. And he wasn't, he wasn't speaking against her, but here's, I want to say, sons and daughters will prophesy, in our day today, I am impressed by how God is raising up women of courage, in many yes. cases, i'm put off with the wimpiness of men who in terms of courage they they are spiritually and morally emasculated and that women are in many cases the ones that are taking a stand and saying we, here's the line where not you're not going to pass Here's where it is. And there are women doing that. And I, there are women like that in this body. And I'm, I pray for more grace on all of us. But at God's prophecy, hundreds of years before, and Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost and says, uh, that God says, I'll pour my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. They'll declare the truth. They'll proclaim reality. You know, I, w- I want to say something about... And we'll get more... Into, okay, no, I won't get ahead of myself. I want to say about prophecy. It isn't Christian fortune-telling. No. I think there's a misconception about that. And we'll touch on it. It is not Christian fortune-telling. God does that sometimes with prophecy where a prophetic word will come and it has to do with future things. But it's, it's deeper, it's bigger, it's much more than, than fortune-telling. So I want that out of the way. But God is raising up men and women to prophesy in our day. And it requires some courage. And I have been praying, God, I want to answer the bell. I want the courage needed to not just be, you know, this guy that I'm kind of hiding out. Kind of like Gideon was. You know, and I don't know, God answered it, and he he stood, he went at that army with 300 guys. So whatever he was to begin with, God met his need, made him a man of courage. God is giving people courage in our day to be those who will prophesy in a culture that is increasingly going the opposite direction. And People who are prophetic people like us, like the disciples of Christ, are not people just going with the flow. Because the flow is going at express speed away from Jesus. And if we're going to go with the flow, guess what? We're going to end up far away from God. Far away from Him. I want the courage to take a stand and and it's not going to all be popular. It's not going to... Be popular with everybody. Are you good with that?
1: Yeah,
0: that because it is going to happen. Jesus spoke, you know, it's, it's all throughout the New Testament. If you look at the word suffering and persecution, those words in the New Testament, it's there. We're, we're not going to just waltz through life and get to the end and, you know, oh, God blessed me and, you know, everything was just wonderful right to the very end. And I skipped across the line into the kingdom and it's like, you know, woo-hoo, man, that was great. It's like I'm expecting some resistance. yes True. I'm expecting some resistance because it's promised. Because, and I see it. I, I see it happening. So God's raising up sons and daughters. To prophesy, to be people who will declare the reality of God. He, this, I want to connect prophecy to this whole idea of being a witness. We, prophecy doesn't mean, again, Just speaking about the future. Jesus said you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses. And then that's exactly what Peter does. He gets up and he's a witness. And he uses that scripture to say your sons and daughters will prophesy. He stands up and he proclaims the reality of Jesus Christ. The same thing. The content, the substance of our prophecy, of our prophetic um, calling is Jesus Christ. It's always going to come to that. Words of life, even when the words of life are you need to repent or you're going to die in your sin. If you keep going on that path, you're going to spend eternity away from the author of life, the source of life. That is a word of love at times. I don't usually open with that. Hey, I want you to meet my cousin Bob. Hey, Bob, you're going to hell. Um, No, you don't do that. I mean, come on, you know. But there's a place where hopefully, if that person is uh, in complete rebellion to God, that you would say, you know, Bob, you need to change your life and receive Christ. I want to just acknowledge a, a significant part of why I came to Christ was my fear of hell. Like a, it wasn't like it wasn't there. I realized in my current state, if I keep like this, I'm going to go to hell. And I'm not good with that. I am scared. And, you know, just like Jesus said, don't fear those who can, you know, kill your body and then they can't do anything else. You fear him who has this option at his disposal. It's like, okay, God is calling people like us to be, just like Stryker said last week, he's calling people and then qualifies them, then outfits them for ministry. He doesn't do it. The other way around. He touched on that whole thing. That the call of God. Transcends. Our human limitations. And our human. Distinctions. Or lack of them. That he calls people. And he calls people. That maybe appear to us. Unusable. Mm-hmm. Or. Unqualified. Right. He, he seems to have a thing. About doing that. And. It is a tactic of the enemy to say again and again to people like you and me, oh no, you're too young to be used in that way. You don't know enough. You can't do this or that. You can't start a business. You don't know what you're doing. You're too young. You're and then now he flips it on me. John, you're too old. <laughs> You were too young before and then you had about 36 hours you could have got on <laughs> on board and you missed the window and now you're old. People need a young, trim, fit pastor. People need, you know, a worship leader who's young and really good looking and, in you know, in the prime of life physically. Being bald is right out. People aren't going to enter the presence of God if you're bald. Unless you're young and you're shaving it off on purpose. But if your head looks like one of those slippers with the fur around it like mine, no. You're you're right out. He loves doing that. He's going to tell us something to disqualify us. You're too this, you're too that, you're too this, you're too that. You're not enough of this, not enough of that. Has anybody in here heard one of those kind of accusations or one of those kind of things? Anybody? Okay, yeah, once or twice per minute, per second, once or twice. Okay, that kind of idea. God wants to take us and outfit us for what he has, to be prophetic people. I am being stirred by this word that we be prophetic people, living in a Sphere where we're looking at what is real, what God wants. He pours out his spirit on sons and daughters, young and old, male and female, even servants and slaves, he says, part of every ethnicity, all mankind, he says. And then his spirit does the extraordinary in ordinary people. That's his program. That's his system. He takes normal, ordinary people... And he does the extraordinary. The first thing Joel's prophecy says in this thing is that they will prophesy. What does he mean by that? Again, the substance, the content is Christ. In every chapter of the book of Acts, you see them stand up and they point to Christ. They keep pointing to Christ. This is the outworking of that prophecy. In fact, Peter stands up and he says this. He quotes a prophecy... And then he fulfills it while he's standing there, giving witness to Jesus Christ. He's prophesying to these people. That's exactly what he's doing in this. Now, I want to skip ahead to this because I don't want to uh, miss the opportunity. Prophetic people will affect change in the world, not just in the church. He doesn't, I know this doesn't just mean that when we're in church, Somebody will stand up and say, I have a prophetic word or as it used to be called, a prophetic utterance from the Lord. That's good and I want it. Where sometimes somebody gets up and says, I have a sense of something that God is saying to us right now. Mm -hmm. And it might come in the form of someone just standing and saying, God is saying right now and they lay it out. Mm -hmm. Or they might say, I have this impression that God is saying thus and so to his people. And he'll prophesy. Now those are, he or she will prophesy like that. But also in the world to be prophetic people. There are people like this right now. And I want us to be those. Where we're strengthening people in their faith. We're calling people to see Jesus. We're caring for people, serving people, sounding an alarm at times, discipling people, evangelizing people, presenting the gospel to people, loving people that way. At home, at work, in our inner world, uh, you know, in our lifestyle, living as prophetic people, recognizing the world is watching us and we're pointing to Christ that that's we're being prophetic people never off duty never never off duty influencing those that're closest to us and influencing all of society writing letters corresponding to our legislators man they need a prophetic voice amen yes. our our nation needs prophetic people the prophetic people of god to live out the gospel and to proclaim Christ. Our nation needs it. Now I want to, re- I want to uh, relate a story that I think presents this well. In terms of being courageous prophetic people. Courage is certainly central to being a, a prophetic person. Someone saying, okay, this isn't going to be popular. Or this might not be understood at first blush, but I'm going to proclaim the reality of the kingdom. In uh, 2 Kings, uh, I want to relate this story. This is the story of a prophet named Elisha, who was Elijah's um, disciple, Uh, was his apprentice when he was on the earth and Elijah got carried off in chariots of fire and this guy Elisha takes up his mantle and his prayer before Elijah went was God give me a double portion of what Elijah had. I like that and I I want to pray for things like that. I think God responds to people who who honor him by the size of their requests and say God why not? I want twice as much as what Elijah had. Would you give it to me? I'm praying for things like that. I want it. I want God to do more. 2 Kings chapter 6. I'll read just verses 8 and 10. It says, Now the king of Aram was warring against Israel, and he counseled uh, with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent word, the man of God being Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you don't pass this place, for the Arameans are coming down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which Elisha had told him uh, and warned him so that he guarded himself there. More than once or twice this happened. So again and again, this king wants to... He's uh, he's at war with Israel. And he says to his guys, here's where we're going to get them. Here's where we're going to get the Israelites. And Elisha just sends word to the king. He has this knowledge... Uh, by the spirit of God. And he sends to the king of Israel. And says don't go there. Because they're waiting to. They've got an ambush for you. They're going to get you there. And this isn't even a righteous king. that In Israel. But Elisha. God's still. These are his people. He, he sends and he says that. This happens several times. So that the Aramean king is furious. It says in verse 11. It says his heart was enraged. He's furious at what's taking place. And. Uh, he, he asks his military personnel who the informant is. And they tell him, no, king, it's Elisha, the prophet. He tells his king, even what you say when you're in your bedroom. they I don't know, again, how they know what Elisha is doing, but they say, no, you don't have an informant. Uh, God does. A- anything you say, even when you're alone in your bedroom your private conversations, God tells Elisha about it. It's like, really? Like he hears everything? <laughs> um, so this, this foreign enemy, I don't think he was laughing about it. So this foreign enemy sends an army, it says horses and chariots, to surround the city, Dothan, where Elisha is uh, holed up. And it, when Elisha's apprentice gets up in the morning... He sees their their city surrounded by an army, horses and chariots. He sees them there, and he cries out to Elisha. He says, alas, my master, what are we going to do? There's an army around our city. And Elisha, you get the sense. I find it sort of comical. He says in verse 16, don't fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. It's kind of like Elisha is waking up, his guy, alas, my master, what are we gonna do? Listen, get my coffee. And then I I want to just, you know, whatever. (laughs) Like he's not even sort of, you know, this is sort of our morning routine. That we're surrounded, he says, There's more with us than there are with them. Don't worry about it. Then he prays for his servant to see. He prays that he'll be able to see. And what does he see? He sees horses and chariots of fire covering the mountain around them. It's like horses and chariots from of the Arameans are there. But then he sees, oh wait, there's a whole other army out there. Horses and chariots of fire. Now, I don't know what that looked like. But man, that, that sounds cool. I would have liked to have seen that. He is Fearless. Elisha is utterly fearless in this. Not because he's just a mighty man. But because of what he sees and who he knows. He sees something else already. And that should be us too. That we're seeing reality on another layer of reality. I mean that army that was around Dothan was real, right? It, it was a real thing. But there's a reality, uh, another dimension of reality that Elisha was seeing. And the, the prophet could see the reality of the situation that maybe nobody else could because of his uh, submission to the Lord. Another sphere or another layer of reality so that he wasn't afraid of the surface reality. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there is an army. I mean, there are stories like that. I, you know, the classic is David and Goliath. He runs out at this beast that was, you know, somewhere between 9 and 11 feet tall, and he was 17 years old. And it says he wasn't tall. You know, it wasn't like David was just the, you know, biggest, baddest guy in the neighborhood. He sees this champion soldier that everybody else is fearful of but he sees another reality. That's right. I I love that when Nigel was little we used to play games out in the where we lived with swords and that and I would tell him this thing that David would say it's like you know, you come at me with uh, sword and spear, but I come at you in the name of the Lord of hosts, and today I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds of the air. <laughs> he was this little kid. And, and he would be, to <laughs> feed your flesh. Blah! You know, it's like, go in the house, and Rose is like, what have you been telling this kid? You know, But it's like David was seeing another layer. That guy was real. That monstrous warrior was real. But he saw another reality. He saw something on another layer, just like Elisha could see something else. His servant couldn't see it, his apprentice. Nobody else could. But Elisha says, you know, God opened his eyes. And God opens his eyes and he sees horses and chariots of fire all around. And it says, then when the worldly army comes down the mountain... I'm, it's kind of a funny story, because then Elijah, uh, Elisha says to them, oh no, you're in the wrong place. He First he prays, says God strike them with blindness. Now, he sees what's there, the other reality. He prays for his apprentice to see the heavenly army. Then he prays for blindness on his opponents, so that they can't see even in the natural. And then he says to them, when they, I don't know, they came down and he prays and all of a sudden, I don't know what that scene would have looked like. Guys, like, I don't know whether it meant they couldn't see at all, but they're kind of there, you know, they can't really see. And he says, Oh, no, you're in the wrong place. No, this isn't where Elisha come with me. And you know, how they came, I don't know, like, they're all holding hands, you know, like (laughs) a bunch of kindergartners going to another and they go all the way to the capital of Israel, into Samaria. They go into the city, probably a walled city, most of them were, and all of a sudden, now, their eyes open up, which is hilarious, their eyes open up, and it's like, oh, shoot, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this isn't good. And the, the, um, the king of Israel... It's funny, it says, he's saying, can I kill him, can I kill him? They even have it in, in the word twice, that he says it. I think he's like, oh, 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 I got my enemies, can I kill him, can I kill him? And Elisha says, no, no, uh, put bread and water before, feed them, and then we'll let him go. He says, would you kill those that you had taken captive? And I'm thinking, okay, I didn't know that was like a, an etiquette of war kind of thing, but I guess not. And he says, no, feed them. And then it says, the king of Israel gives a great feast. Like, he didn't just, you know, God, give them each a hot dog and, you know, like, we have all those hot dogs anyway waiting and we're Jews, so we're not eating them. So, you know, he, he feeds them a great feast and then sends them home. And they go home and it's, I think it's sort of funny that they would go home and then say to the Aramean king, uh what did they do to you? Well, they, they fed us and you know, then, then they let us go. And the story ends, listen to this, it says, uh, they prepared a great feast for them, they had eaten and drunk, uh, he sent them away and they went to their master and the mar- marauding bands of the Arameans did not come again into the land of Israel. What a, what a tactic of war. Let's blind them, open their eyes, feed them and send them home. And then they don't come anymore. Elisha could see something that was reality. We, as believers, see something that's reality. It's not fortune-telling or just looking at the future. We, Paul, later in the book of Acts, I think it's chapter uh, 23, he's in the midst of a court case, and this guy says, you know, he... They weren't charging him with things like I thought they would. They had certain sticking points about the law and about a certain dead man that Paul asserts to be alive. It's like he's seeing something they don't see. He knows something. We are following a living Christ, amen? Amen. He's alive. We see and know something that people in the world think, oh, you're crazy, you're worshiping a guy that, you know is you know died on a cross and that was the end of it nope that wasn't we see something else and as prophetic people we continue to proclaim him that he's alive and then there's something about that when it's proclaimed prophesied like that that it gets inside of somebody and there's something like really that's true uh tell me more and then somebody's heart is softening to it because there's something in us, as C.S. Lewis calls it, that God-shaped vacuum, that's longing to be filled. And it's like, well, I've tried a number of things. I'm willing to at least listen and see if maybe that's the thing that's been kind of that emptiness. And we prophesy instead of just, you know, kind of gingerly, you know, yeah, there's, you know, I'm religious now and I have this religion. No, wait, I'm prophesying a living, resurrected, powerful, eternal Savior. And he, when we prophesy, something happens. Something changes. And it's like the reality on that, that other layer of reality, kind of by the power of the Holy Spirit gets revealed a little taste of it, a little glimpse of it and whets somebody's appetite and now they want to hear more and take a step toward and it's like, man, that is exciting. It's a little bit scary. I, somebody told me recently about talking to a friend and the person said they went to, they talked about two different churches. We go to this one church and you know everything's kind of nice. We went to this other church and he said, that one was a little bit scary because of what they were kind of Pointed to, it. not scary because it was heresy, but scary because it was kind of convicting. Mm. And the part that encouraged me was that the person telling me said, yeah, I told them our church is probably going to be kind of that way. And I thought, thank you very much for that compliment. Yes. I hope it is. Right. I hope it's a church where they can, don't you want that? Yes. That somebody comes in your house yeah. and they know that, oh, you know, I talked to a lot of people and they just told me, "Oh, you're so wonderful. You're good. Everything's great with your life." And I went to visit Claudia and, you know, and I left feeling kind of like, "Gee, maybe I don't have it all together" cuz she presented the truth and it kind of cut across the grain of my life. Thank you, Jesus. Right. Ah, I like that. Yep. That's part of us being prophetic people. Uh, this week, adding to what we talked about a couple of weeks ago about praying again and again every time it comes to mind to be filled with the spirit this week ask god to make you a prophetic person for him i i think that's part of what it is to be witnesses for christ is prophetic people that we will influence every strata of society and Circumstances because we see Christ in everything, right? We see how Christ pertains to education, how Christ pertains to religion, how he pertains to supply and material um, stewardship, and how he pertains to the election coming up and everything. And be those prophetic people that we pray, we speak, we declare, we witness, we bring Christ into everything. Amen? Let's do it. Father, I thank you for the people in this room. If, that's, if Let's just even ask it today. Say, God, make me a prophetic person. Fill me with your Holy Spirit again. And use me to prophesy in my generation. And to, bear to Jesus. and to bear witness to Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Uh, have refreshments. Uh, fellowship with one another if you need prayer. Uh, come and uh, receive prayer. Uh, I, there's always some people. Um, no. Um, yeah, if you need, there are some people that will come up to the front right away so that you can... Be ministered to and not just leave bearing some of the same burdens that maybe you came with today. And yes?
1: Perhaps close to 50 years of pastoral life. What you have mentioned to us this morning has been a constant trouble to me. And uh, I have. relatives, there were ministers that are in the presence of the Lord right now, and they have passed down to me a living faith to believe God for his promises. I believe what you preach today. I believe every word of it. I know it's in the Bible. So I've questioned in my life, why doesn't it happen now? What is the hindrance? The word of God, even God said, my word will not return unto me void. We know that heaven and earth will pass away, but his word would not return empty, but that would have a fulfillment. And so I am convinced today as an older man that everything that you have preached to us is true but then I'm trying to find what's going to turn on the living word of God so that we are convinced that we can see what others cannot see everything in God as far as I know about ministering the word that you have shared with us this morning is measured by my person what I am as a person the word of God is there it's true there's no doubt but I measure it according to what I know about me and Stryker spoke a portion of this last Sunday when he talked about four times that Moses rejected God. Now, knowing God-man's situation, it's not wise to reject God because it does say in the anger of the Lord was kindled against him. But why didn't God destroy him? Because he was telling God the truth about himself. I'm not spiritual enough. And that same f- spirit I feel has dogged my own pastoral ministry down through the years. I've waited for a time where there could be judgment, discernment, or even confirmation. Are we the people that could really receive the promises of God. So right today, I am saying here, yes, I believe the word that you have preached, brother, but I am measuring it by what I know about me. And then I see what Peter did, who was a man that had such lows. He even rejected the Lord at the most inopportune time. He had such a low. But then, being filled with the Holy Spirit, such a comparable high to be used of God and to have the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, what caused this to happen? Now I know when I read the book of Peter that he does say you have suffered and you're going to suffer a while which has always been to me a question. The Bible is full of deliverance. The Bible is full of answers. The Bible is full. Everything from food, he is our food. Everything to he is our money supply. Everything. Now the Bible is a bible of supply but yet we suffer and we measure our Holy Spirit anointing by what we experience and who we are now what is the answer well Peter gave us the answer he says all these things that you go through now you're going through so that God might do four things for you, and you gave us Second Peter. Now, if these four things come to you, you're going to be able to receive the promises. You're going to be able to see everything that you've tried to see take place because this happened to you. If this doesn't happen to you, you won't be able to receive any of it. And consequently, it's there. Peter said it. God's causing you to go through these problems so that you suffer. But in your suffering, you find out where you're lacking as a human. And the four things are there in 2 Peter. And... (laughs) I agree 100%, but I'm measuring it. Can I believe in what is a prophetic word that's actually going to happen? And I find myself measuring it by what I am convinced I have become. And it's here in the scriptures. I'm not the preacher. But I can say I have to recognize that those four things, unless they come to pass in all of our lives, we don't have a capacity to even grasp a hold of God's truth. And God's truth is God's truth. And I'm saying to us this morning that what you're saying to us and teaching us to be filled with the Spirit, that's the fact. But you and I will never be filled with the Spirit if we are filled with humanness and weaknesses and we are business as usual as you preached, and we just go along and don't show any change from week to week. And we're just hearing it and say, that was a good word, Pastor. Well, we've had enough good words to convert the whole world. (laughs) Now is the time for us to have a spiritual change. Now. And unless that happens, we'll go to heaven frustrated. The word of God up here and we down there. So my challenge is we've got to see some change. Those changes have got to be in our spirits, which is going to affect our believing power, which is going to get God working with us. And that's His will. I, I, I say this this morning to encourage us, not to criticize, to encourage. And can we receive this this morning?
0: That is a prophetic word, and I want to just pray. Father, even as we heard a couple of weeks ago, we ask you to empty us and fill us. Empty us of the things that we're full of that just take up space, that are keeping us from being filled with more of you and being the people that you, um, as Pastor Mel has said, we don't want to just live in theory way up here with our experience way down here we pray father god for the grace to see change father change in our uh, actual um, being and in our believing and in the outworking of your word in us in jesus name thank you father god have your way in us we pray lord amen